All right. Well, look, it's ages since I've been. It's, this is, uh, what, three weeks without preaching, and um, here I am again. Um, I'm surprised you all turned up this morning. So anyway, it's great to be back in the pulpit, and um, if you're visiting with us, we've been doing a series on uh, the church in Antioch, and we're actually coming to the close of that series, and we're just looking at some of the, um, the features of this church, which um, we've been explaining is... Uh, of all the churches that are mentioned in the New Testament, the church in Antioch is by far uh, the most vibrant and healthiest church community. We've been just looking at the various characteristics of, um, of this particular church. So in Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 to 20, the church, uh, we received our marching orders from Jesus. And Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This here is actually the um, mandate of the church. This is uh, this is what we are actually. This is our, our core our core business, and uh, the church in Antioch um, took seriously um, Jesus's call um, to make disciples. They didn't just um, gather a bunch of converts and and um, and get a crowd, um, but what they did was they were committed to. Um, uh, the transformation of people's lives. And in Acts 11, verse 26, it says, The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Can everybody remember Louise preached a few weeks ago and she talked about the, this word Christ, Christian? Can remember, anybody remember what it means? Right. <laughs> It means, it means little Christs. So in the city of Antioch, there were all these little Christs, these little Jesuses walking around. And as far as I can tell, there is only one kind of Christian, and that is a disciple. There's only one kind of Christian, and that is a disciple. The word disciple uh, means apprentice. It means student, learner, or a disciplined one. Now... Many years ago, I had a personal trainer, which, I mean, you can all figure out that I still have a personal, no, I don't have a personal trainer. Um, I had a personal trainer called Danny, and um, the first time I went to see Danny, Danny asked me the question, he said, so Steve, um, what is it that you want to achieve? Why are you coming to see me? And I said to him, well, Danny, um, there's a Tom Cruise in me waiting to get out. And he took one look at me. I don't know what the equivalent to Tom Cruise is nowadays. Is there a... Because kind of Tom Cruise is not cool anymore, is he? No, no. But back, back some time ago, Tom Cruise was kind of the epitome of masculinity and, and that kind of thing. Um, and he looked at me, took one look at me and started to laugh as if Tom Cruise ain't ever going to come out of you, boy. And, uh, but what Christian discipleship is, is the process of helping the Jesus that is in us to get out. What is discipleship? Discipleship is the process of helping the Jesus that is in us to get out of us. And while it's laughable to think that I could potentially develop a physique like Tom Cruise, it's not laughable to think that people like you and I 
like they were in the city of Antioch, could walk around and be labelled little Christs. Because we have adopted a commitment of not just being part of the crowd that come to church, but we have made a commitment to actually be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, a student, a learner, an apprentice. And so God's great goal for each of our lives is for us to become like Christ. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians um, chapter 1 and, and chapter 4, they all speak about our destiny. And that destiny that we all have is for us to become mature, for us to grow up into the very likeness of Jesus. And so Christian discipleship is the transformative journey that we go on to bridge the gap between who we are right now and the Christ-likeness we are called to bear and the Christ-likeness that we will, in some point in time, live into and become. Now, whether we're conscious of it or not, every one of us is being transformed. Every one of us is a disciple. Perhaps not of Jesus, but we're a disciple of someone or something. Something or someone is shaping everyone's life. And so the big question is, who or what are we a disciple of? There is um, what, I, what I've um, termed unintentional discipleship. Before we come to Jesus, there are forces that are at work shaping us and making us who we are and who we become. And uh, great, that's, that's up there now. And so this is us in the middle. This is, this is you and I. And these are the forces that come into our lives to make us into the kinds of people that we become. The first, um, the first step, I suppose, in, in unintentional discipleship, or the first um, force that's at work within us, is the, the stories that we believe. The stories that we believe. We all believe certain stories about ourselves and about our place in the world. In the West, um, the predominant story is the story of, um, of secular humanism. And Secularism kind of says that we are all here by chance. That, um, and because we're here by, by chance, we just have to be true to who we are. And as long as we don't hurt anyone else, that's okay. That um, truth is relative. There are no absolutes. And that there is really, because we're only here by chance... Um, Secular humanism would tell us that there is no ultimate purpose in life. And therefore, I guess while we're here, just kind of seek pleasure. Be happy. Because that's what life is about. And the majority of, of of people in the West, whether they're conscious of it or not, have been shaped by this story, this prevailing worldview that... um, that we're here just by chance and there is no purpose to life. So we might as well just be happy. Yeah, do good. But as long as we don't hurt anyone, you know, that's what life is about. And there are other stories that we believe about ourselves. Perhaps we're put down. Perhaps we feel 
shame or guilt or whatever. And there are certain stories that we believe about ourselves that are shaping us and making us into the people that we are. The second thing, the second force that shapes us are our habits. Now, we are kind of the sum total of, 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 our, of our regular habits. And habits do something to us. Whatever we do consistently shapes who we become. And so, for example, just practically, the more, the more we exercise, the more regularly we exercise, the more we want to exercise. It just becomes a habit. It just becomes natural. It becomes part of who we are. And so we build habits into our lives. Some of those habits are good and they're healthy. And there are other habits that we develop that aren't quite so good. The third, third force that is um, shaping us and molding us is, is our relationships. Because we do kind of take on a bit of a reflection of those that we tend to spend time with. So the tribe we identify with, we all know that, you know, Collingwood supporters look and act a certain way because that's, that's part of the Collingwood tribe or that, the Collingwood myth. Um, but the circle of friends that we keep um, have a profound influence on us. And it's, when you're a parent, you can, you can parent really, really well, but there comes a point where um, your influence over your children kind of takes a bit of a backseat and the predominant influence in their lives becomes their circle of friendship. And you just got to pray that they, they link in with a good group of kids. So some positive things rub off on them. The fourth thing is um, life experiences. So things like divorce or some form of trauma, maybe as you, have a, a, you, know, you have a business and it goes bankrupt or something, or something like the death of a parent when you're, when you're young, will impinge profoundly on the kind of person that you, you become. The next one I've actually called fate. Um, there are certain things in life that we actually, we like to think that we're authors of our own destiny, but we're not. Because there are certain things that happen uh, in, our, in our lives that we actually have absolutely no control over. You, have had, you had no control over your family of origin, the family that you were born into. You have no say in the kind of... De- Sorry about this, neighbor. You have no say in the DNA that you inherited. You know, your looks, you know, they can be modified slightly with plastic surgery or a really good hairdresser like Deb, you know. But ultimately, you know, you know the, the truth is, if you're tall, you've got a better chances of getting a better job because taller people just happen to have greater levels of success. It's just, I'm sorry if you're of short stature. Sorry about that. But if there's a job interview and there are two candidates, it's more than likely the taller person will get. That's just the kind of world that we live in. Your gender, you had, had, had no control o- over that. Your temperament, whether you're introvert or extrovert, that's kind of hardwired into you. And you can't shape that. And when and where we are born, you know, I was just so blessed to be born in England. And then number six, 
Um, weren't we, Mike? Yeah. And then I grew up in New Zealand. And, that, and now I live in Australia. And I have an Australian passport to prove it. And then the sixth thing is culture. Um, Everything, all of these things are taking place within a prevailing culture. And culture is actually a formation machine. Um, the society we live in is like, is like swimming in the sea. And we're surrounded and enveloped by culture. And whether you like it or not, you're being influenced by the society in which we live. Because of the forces of media and kind of all of the stuff that goes around in the world. We like to think that we're authors of our own destiny, that we're free thinkers. We're not. These are the things that make us who we are. And all of this happens within the context of time. The stories we believe, our habits, our relationships, our life experiences, fate, the things that we have no control over, and culture. These factors are all conspiring together, all weaving together to make us into somebody. We are being unintentionally discipled. And what we become is the most important thing in life. You know, if you, if you go to um, a, a, a bookshop, you'll notice there are um, bookshelves, sections within 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 bookshops that are dedicated, devoted to self-help. And the reason is, we want to change. We want to change. There is something within so many people that says, I'm not happy with who I am. I'm not happy with the habits that I've adopted. There are things in my life that I want to break free from. And I know some, there is something within me. There is a Tom Cruise within me wanting to get out. And I want help in becoming who I am called to be. And so there are resources and tools and, and courses and TED Talks and podcasts that we listen to in the hope that we can shift and alter who we are. Now the good news about Christianity is that it actually offers us an intentional process of change. There is, there, is, there is hope for all of us that we don't just have to stay like this with all of the baggage and all of the stuff that, ha- that we have taken on. God has instituted certain principles or ways or pathways that facilitate change. Now obviously none of us start with a with a blank slate. We've got we carry all of this with us. And so there's no such thing within the Christian church as an as a as a a level playing field. So when people become Christians, we can't impose upon them a certain uh, certain expectations as to where they should be in terms of the development of their Christ-likeness because we don't know their backstory. We don't know the, the habits that have been ingrained. We don't know the life experiences, the traumas, the, the background that they've come from. 
But the great thing is that every single person who is a follower of Christ has the capacity to change. Because God is for us and with us in this transformational process. Can we throw up the next um, slide? And so, this for me is what makes Christianity so dynamic and so attractive and so viable because it offers a way of transformation. And it begins with not just me in the middle, but it begins with you and I in union together with Christ. We're on this transformational journey as followers and as disciples of Christ, not by ourselves anymore, but we're in partnership with the person of Christ who has come and taken residence within our lives. And this transformational journey begins with teaching. And this teaching is meant to counteract those false stories that we've all believed. And the truth of of God's word is there to uh, either reinforce or to replace those false stories that we put our hope and our trust in. And what we're able to do is, as we are exposed to teaching, good teaching, truth, the truth of God's word, then we are transformed, the Bible tells us, Romans 12, by the renewing of our minds. We start to think differently about ourselves, our place in the world, our purpose in life. And the Christian story begins to replace the story that's been presented to us from secular humanism. We are actually here by design. We were created and made by God in, in God's image and in God's likeness. Every one of us is loved unconditionally by God. And our purpose in life is to know this God and to make this God known to the world. And we're also called with a, with a very clear purpose, and that is to love and serve others and to bring shalom. We are all called to carry shalom into our world. That is to make this world which is broken. We're here to fix it, to repair it, to restore it, to renew it. And that's, that's our mission. And that's the story that we live into. I feel really, if you can guess, I'm passionate about this. And there are core teachings that we need to receive, that, that need to be embedded into our hearts and our minds. Uh, I was just talking to Lou. I said, Lou, what, what do you think are our core te- What are the core teachings that we need to understand and, and grab hold of? Well, the first one is covenant. And that it, covenant is that we are in union with Christ in an unbreakable bond, an unbreakable relationship. The day after I was converted, some people sat me down and taught me about covenant that God and I were in this unbreakable relationship for all eternity. God and I were one. So in Paul's letters, he constantly talks about being united together with Christ. And unless we understand that, that our lives are intertwined with the very life of God, and that all I have is God's and all that God has is mine, I'm sorry, but Christianity is really hard. And it breaks my heart whenever we start to talk about covenant that people come up and say, Stephen, 
I've had people who've been really angry and have been crying because they've been on the Christian journey for so long and they say, nobody ever, why didn't anybody ever tell us about this? But it's a core teaching. Then there's the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest hits, his core teaching, which I believe provides us with a blueprint for how to live our lives. Then there's the kingdom of God. We've already kind of touched on that when we did our series on, on Shalom. And then the nature of God. God is, is Trinity. God is, a, God is loving relationship. And so the, unless we kind of have a basis of teaching, we, we can't be a really good follower of, of Christ. Gee, look at the time. Spiritual practice, number two, spiritual practices or what's called spiritual disciplines kind of work in helping shift some of our habits. And, and spiritual disciplines are rituals and rhythms that we engage in to help us access the very presence and power of God. And so the key practices are silence and solitude. That means you have to switch off your phone and disentangle yourself from social media. At some point, if you want to be a follower of Jesus. Prayer, fasting, sorry about that one. Giving, Bible reading, Sabbath, uh, living in community and simplicity. And what these spiritual practices do is they help nurture the life of Christ that is in us. So transformative Christianity is actually a practice-based way of living. The third thing is community as opposed to Relationships. Because con uh, change takes place within the context of community. The difference between uh, relationships and community is this. Relate, you can choose your friends. You self-select who you're going to be friends with. In community, kind of God just throws us all in together and says, try and work out this stuff. Try and work out your life with people that you would never choose to be with. But the reason that God does it, this is, is community does three things. One is it exposes um, our weaknesses. I thought I was such a great holy man until I got married. And then I realized I've got all of these kind of selfishness in me that I never knew about. Uh, also, community provides encouragement. And thirdly, community provides us with inspiring examples. So I see others who are further on the journey, and who are looking more like Christ than I am, and they inspire me to keep going, because I look at them and go, ah, so that's what I'm kind of aiming for. Number four, um, suffering. I'm sorry about this one. The very thing that we try to avoid in life is actually one of the keys to helping us become more Christ-like. And how we respond to the difficulties of life and build resilience is instrumental in our formational process. Sorry, I'm just rushing through the sort of scriptures I could give you, but if you want my notes, um, come and see me. And number five is training. You know, let's say I, um, I wanted to run a marathon. I could really try to run a marathon right now, but you know what? I'd die. I would. If I tried to run a marathon right now, I'd, I'd probably die. I can't run a marathon yet because of who I currently am. But if I run a kilometer this week, take a break, you know, do some exercises, and then 
then run a little further the week after. Then run a little bit further the week after that. Within about 12 months, it's possible that even somebody like me could run a marathon. I'd become a person who could do something I once could never have done. And I would have done it because I'd trained. And the same principle applies to following Jesus. We don't change by trying. If you're trying to be a Christian, the best advice that I received when the, the day I became a Christian was don't try to become, be, be a Christian. It's too hard. You've got to go, you've got to train. And there is a difference between training and trying. Number six is the Holy Spirit. We are connected to Jesus Christ through the medium of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is, if you like, our culture or the environment which we live in. And so we cultivate a relationship, have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We respond to the Spirit's promptings because the Holy Spirit is indwelling, is is all, all around us. We build an atmosphere over our lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That becomes the culture of our lives. And all of this takes place just like in, 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 as in unintentional discipleship. It all takes place within the context of time. And teaching and spirit, the spiritual disciplines, community, our response to suffering, training, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All of these factors combine. These are what God has instituted in helping us to become better versions of ourselves. And then ultimately what it leads us to is over time, we become little Christ, just like in the church of Antioch. Could you imagine the people in Rosebud talking about, gee, those, those strange people from Bayview. They're like, just like little Jesuses. What's the goal with them? Well, the goal with us is we're committed to being disciples. The church in Antioch was a disciple-making center. And that's the reason that had such a dynamic impact upon the world. It took to heart the mandate of Jesus. And I'm just letting you know that, that as of next year, it's my intent to steer Bayview very intentionally focused around being a disciple, where disciple-making is, is our, one of our core virtues. It's just who we are. If you're here, you're committed to discipleship or you're, you at least have the opportunity to be discipled. And next year, um, I want to bring on to our team somebody who heads up a disciple, um, discipleship um, department or program that works with us and helps each and every one of us who buys into this thing. We don't just want to be part of the crowd, but we're committed to becoming like Christ. I'm going to bring somebody in who's going to oversee that area in the life of the church so that we can, every one of us, move towards our goal of becoming like Jesus. Sorry for going, you got three weeks worth kind of in one hit this morning. That's what happens when I don't preach for three weeks. It all comes out. But um, hear my heart. You've got a great destiny in God. Not one of us has to stay the way that we are. There is hope for us. Change is possible. And this is the dynamic thing of Christianity.
we have angels that sing in the background. God bless, and uh, we'll finish with the benediction. Thanks, Kevin.